Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi, fam, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaim Me. I'm so excited to say that we're joined back again today by Brayden for part two of our conversation. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back and listen to that first. Otherwise, it won't make much sense where we pick up off. In addition, there is a Friday follow-up episode that has uh, Brayden in it. It also has Harry and it has Jared. Harry and Jared have both been previous podcast guests on this episode as well. We do go into that a little bit in the Friday follow-up, but it is just a little bit more lighthearted, full of love. There's definitely laughs in there and we do have some really great discussions. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that one as well. Before we get stuck into this episode, I do want to make as well another reminder for you all. If you haven't already, please go on and leave a review or rate on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to this uh, podcast on, it really does help share why you personally like the podcast. It gives a message to other people who might be searching for this podcast and might need something for themselves as well. So if they're, they might be searching for survivor stories, they might be searching for different things. So if this has helped you in any way, please leave a review. I think it's a really wonderful way to support the podcast and it's free. So please, if you can go and do that, And just a final reminder as well before we kick off that there is a link in the bio for this episode which will link you to the Survivor Support Network. So make sure that you go and join that if you're interested in joining a peer-to-peer network filled with, you know, just basically your best friends. (laughs) So, but anyway, enough from me. On to the show. Like looking back, I do know that I became much quieter and I would stay in my room a lot. Like looking back, I just would stay in my room, never come out. I'd play video games, movies, watch movies, like whatever it might be. I just didn't really, really want to do much unless we were going somewhere as a family together. So when I found those friends that I felt really safe with, that was amazing because I could get out of my room, but I knew I'd be safe there. And so I would go out 
and I would walk to his house, but it was very difficult to find those friends where I felt 100% safe in those environments. And so otherwise I'd just stay in my room. And it wasn't until high school where my sisters kind of started forcing me to get out of my room that um, I guess my more bubbly sides started to come out because they were like, why you're always in there. Like you're literally white as a ghost. You'd never see the sun. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought like I was a geek, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it did, it did help me start to develop some more confidence in myself again, just by them forcing me out and getting me out and about and just doing things. But yeah, I very much secluded myself. And it's an important thing to talk about. I remember Beck Thompson was on this podcast a while back. She's the author of the book Chasing Normal. And she speaks a lot about what she went through as well. And she became quite reclusive too. She was the very quiet child in school. And she now goes out and speaks to a lot of different schools about, you know, kids who've gone through and experienced trauma aren't always the loud, angry ones. A lot of them are very quiet and reclusive. And it's something for people who are parents listening to this now, it's just something to be tuned into. If you've got a child whose behavior drastically changes quite quickly, that there could be something going on or something might actually have happened and it's something to be keyed into. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, in you saying that, my mum told me that she thought something happened back then, which was, what, seven years before. But she's like, but I wasn't sure. But then she didn't do anything about it. Like, she didn't ask me. She didn't kind of probe things. And I do remember that I was having nightmares for a really long time afterwards but I, at the time I didn't know what they were about, but I can still describe them because it was the same every single night. And it, it's not going to make sense when I describe it. It was literally like in enor- like an enormous black space with these enormous black blobs just clashing and creating horrific noises like fighting. And I would just wake up crying all the time. And like it, imagining what that looks like, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't, <laughs> but it was the same. But then mum still didn't really do anything to try and uncover what was going on. She just felt like something happened, but again, didn't do anything. So again, that kind of feeling of I was failed by my parents on numerous occasions when they had an opportunity to help me through what I'd been through, um, I think has kind of added to the challenge of my journey as well, because I've never really had that support until I shared with my partner and his family, like they've been phenomenal. And my partner's mum is like probably the biggest fundraiser every single year, not necessarily in terms of money she donates, but the amount of push and drive that she has in getting other people to donate. And she actually starts planning and she'll propagate plants throughout the year in the lead up to Polish Man so they can sell the plants to then put those donations towards my campaign. Like (laughs) she's so amazing. (laughs) Yeah, she's the best. When you said um, with your mum as well, though, that she suspected something had happened, was that because he had abruptly left quite early and your behaviour had changed quite drastically afterwards? Or was there another reason or what was it? I think it was my behavior had changed so suddenly. So she wasn't living with us when it had happened. She was in and out of our lives for as long as I can remember. She wasn't there at that point, but I guess when she popped up, I was different to what she remembered. Um, and I'm assuming she thought something had happened, but maybe because she wasn't there when he was there, she couldn't put two and two together. It's just like, what the fuck is going on? Why is he so different to the brain that I remember? Merely maybe six months ago. Yeah, it was just a change of behavior, really, that made her think 
something wasn't right. And I did want to reflect as well on the fact that you said that their both of your parents' responses were in anger. And that's something I share a lot about my experience as well, because when my parents were called to the police station, my mum's response, she said, did he rape you? And I said, yes. And I didn't cry at that time. I was so in shock, I think, and not understanding. And my dad's response was, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill him. I think a police officer was holding him back from trying to find him in the police station. And my mum just broke down crying. Mm -hmm. So then my dad started to comfort my mum and I'm just sitting there kind of alone in that moment. Yeah. At the time, I, w- I remember feeling alone, but that's another thing where you feel failed in many ways. That's like I talk to a lot of parents about when they've got children. It's like your response needs to be to them. Yeah. You know, they don't know what to do. But when your response is anger, it makes you inherently feel like it's something you can't talk about. When you're in a family that you don't share these things, you don't have the sex talk, you don't have open conversations. I'm from a very similar family where even they don't talk about this podcast. My dad's never listened to an episode. Mum will sometimes talk about it, but the conversation is very quick to change. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. But I think that gives you this inherent sense that this is a no-no conversation. We can't talk about this. And then you end up absorbing it as your own to hold and not talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did learn recently that my dad's still in denial about it too. So when my sister came up and I shared her the video that was um, produced, she was like, oh, dad still doesn't, he's not convinced. And I was like, you're fucking kidding, right? (laughs) Like, but also everything I've been doing in the past five years in terms of healing and my journey of processing and all the different things I'm getting involved with, surely even then, you're convinced that, oh, wow, okay, something must have happened. Like, I wouldn't just do this for shits and giggles. Like, what the hell? But then actually Harry, because <laughs> I'd shared with Harry that I'd learnt this new information. And for someone so young, he's so amazing. <laughs> I just I just can't. He was just like, that really sucks. But your happiness and your healing is not dependent on whether or not he believes it. And I was like, you're fucking right. (laughs) And then I had such a quick turnaround and I was just like, yeah, no, right. Who cares? He doesn't believe me. I don't need your belief to know what happened to me. So fuck it. (laughs) And it is on a reflection point as well. It's an amazing thing to be able to reflect like that and go at the time, obviously horrible. And, you know, when you reflecting on that experience of their reactions, horrible. But in that moment now, and even reflecting on Michael Unbroken, who's been on this podcast as well, who shared a lot of his experiences like that, and he fully advocates for just cutting people out of your life. And I'm I'm on that path as well. You know, like maybe it's not just because of the disbelief, but if there are people in your life that are making you feel shit every day, and I'm not saying that that's what you need to do, yeah. but it is that personal reflection that you have where you go, do I need this? Mm. You know, I'm I'm adult now. I don't need you. If you don't support me in the ways I need to be, then fuck you. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. It's just incredible and it's quite upsetting. Have you have you ever spoken to the police at all? You said that you can't find his last name. Mm. Is that an avenue that you would like to one day go down or how do you feel about that? I think about this every year, actually. Yes and no. I think yes, because there's a part of me that wants him to be brought to justice for what he's done and also 
to stop it from happening to anybody else. Um, but there's a part of me that's like, can I go down that path? Will I survive going down that path? Because I know how difficult it can be to go down that path through what I've heard from others, which is really shitty. The fact that survivors don't even want to engage with a judicial system because it's so horrific and the likelihood of actually getting anywhere with it is unfortunately less than getting somewhere with it. And I'm like, do I put myself through all of that to maybe never find him and, or maybe he's dead. Who knows? He was, I mean, self-reflecting, he was a pretty self-destructive person. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Also, I don't think I'm ever going to get his last name from my dad. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I will. And, I, and I, I did go through a process of guilt as well for not pursuing it legally because of the fact that has he been doing it to other people? Is he still doing it? And I had to work myself through that and be like, it's not necessary. It sounds awful me saying this, but it's not necessarily my responsibility to stop him. And like, I'm hearing myself say this and I'm like, Braden, you're such an asshole. What the fuck? But it's also like a self-preservation piece too. So I don't know. It's, it's really, it's, it's difficult. The only person who chose to offend was him. The only person responsible for his actions is him. It is not your responsibility to be Batman and to prevent crime and run after the bad guys. You're a victim of crime. It's not your responsibility. And we don't have a system that is accessible enough to people who have experienced extreme trauma. Mm. So just remember always that it is never going to be your responsibility and it never was. If he has hurt other people, it's not up to a 10-year-old to report that and go through that system. And even if you had, knowing that only, you know, 10% of cases make it to court and less than 10% of those 10% make it to convictions, the likelihood of that being able to stop him for a long enough period of time even, you know, it does change things. And I think it's an important reflection to have, and I do say this to a lot of people who are victims of, of anybody, it's we're not the ones that did something wrong. We're not the ones responsible for these actions. The only person responsible for them is the one doing them. And either he's had a reflection and realised that what he did was wrong or he hasn't. N- none of that sits with you. Thank you. Um, no one's ever really said it in that way to me before. Um, I just had a moment of just um, gratefulness. But just, yeah. Um, sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, it's my pleasure. I think, yeah, we don't we don't hear that enough. We just hear the statistics, the reoffense rates, the likelihood of this, the likelihood of that. But I think it's important we put it in that sense. And that's the other thing as well. Like there is a guilt. And I don't know if, if I didn't have immediate police intervention, I don't know if I ever would have gone through the, the system. Yeah. But I think one thing, reason that I would never censor people on here is because I want people to know what it actually is like and make up their own choices as well. You know, Jared had explained his experience wasn't bad, like for what it was. Yeah. As you know, he said it was horrible and traumatic, but it was as good as it could possibly be. And that's a wonderful mm. outcome. But then you've got people who have had the most horrific experiences that, you know, they've been traumatized potentially worse than what happened to them. And it is something that you have to weigh up about what you need for yourself. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And it sounds as well, though, like your experience with Polished Man and getting that. The video up there and having some of these achievements that you've been able to do has given you purpose, which might sit ahead of any justice, in inverted commas justice, yeah. that you may or may not have gotten. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that the video is out there. Like, it's public. It's on YouTube. Like, I really hope more and more people see it. Not because I'm in it, but <laughs> just because... I think they've done such a really beautiful job of cutting that video into a really strong message and just, I guess, like I did have a couple of people contact me after they'd watched it and shared, I've got my own experience and I hadn't actually ever shared it with anybody, but your video made me think about it. So thank you. And that in itself is is so, so great um, for them to be able to start that process. So, yeah. I think it's just... It's an incredible thing to be able to say something and for it to actually impact people. You know, a lot of the times you post things on social media and it's like a picture of you and your friends and I don't know, even most of the girls will be like, oh, my God, slay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the, like, interactions kind of that you're having when you post. But to be able to post something or put it out there and have – you know, kind of think about this a lot, like especially when people having these profound things happen to them when they experience this, you know, they're never going to forget who you are. You've made a profound impact to somebody. They're always going to be like when they tell this story, you're the Jared to them. You're the person that's been that and you're never going to not have gratefulness and happiness in your heart because of that person, which is it's just incredible. You know, so many people say, I'm sharing my story. I just want to help one person. And to know that you've helped multiple and you continue to do so is so heartwarming. Yeah. And I think I need to remind myself more of that as well. Again, just underselling myself, um, just remembering 
I guess that kind of impact. Yeah, it is good. And I think it's incredible that you said as well that they they cut that video down. I went to see Grace Tame talk about her book and she was saying, you know, the importance of people understanding that in the media you're only getting a, a five-minute clip of a two-hour interview and it's not always reflective of that. And I, that's why I really pride myself on this process because every victim survivor that comes on here has the post-production rights. So if you want something cut out, we'll cut it out. But for the most part, it's just cutting out the ums and ahs. Um, as I just say, um. <laughs> <laughs> I think to have that reflection and to feel really empowered by that, it shows that they're trauma-informed, that they get it. You know, for it to be done so well, I think that's just a testament to polished men as well and how well they're they're going. Yeah, absolutely. And the the outgoing campaign manager, she's she's left now. Um, she's absolutely amazing, and I'm so grateful for her being on the campaign for so many years, um, and being just such a rock for not just me but for so many. That when she left, she had to completely disconnect from it. Um, for her own benefit, like, and I guess self-preservation because she was so passionate about it. When she was resigning, she personally called me to apologize and she broke down on the phone. She's like, it's so many ambassadors like yourself that makes me love this job so much, but I have to go and I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm letting you down and all the other survivors down. I was like, absolutely not. I would not be here doing this if you didn't keep doing the work that you do to keep us going. But yeah, I guess it's similar to me. I guess she didn't really see the impact that she was making because we undersell ourselves a lot. I don't know if it's just a couple of us or if it's all of us, but it's so common. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she truly made a massive impact. She might not have been sharing her own story, but she was helping others provide, she was providing space for us to do to do that for ourselves. Absolutely. Some big shoes to fill and what a legacy to leave behind after leaving a job. Like you can say that they do that as a job. That's an incredible thing. Yeah, it's amazing. Was there anything else that you wanted to go over before we wrap up? I did actually want to talk about just very briefly. So I shared my story in video form this year, but also in book form. So there was a book published probably five weeks ago. It's a collection of male survivors of child sex abuse. There's 20 of us. Uh, that have contributed to a book. And I've only just started reading the other author's stories now. So when we're all in the process of getting the book published, I couldn't bring myself to read them um, because it was hard enough writing my own down like four years ago. And so it's taken this long to get it, to get it done. But um, it's called Telling My Story, The Healing Journey Through the Gippsland Centre Against Sexual Assault um, and Shooting Star publications. So when I was talking about, um, the lady that started restoring hope, she actually started this book and she asked me the night that we met whether or not I wanted to be part of a book idea that she had, which was male survivors. Cause she'd done one previously of female survivors of child sex abuse. And I was like, absolutely. And last year she passed away. Um, so it's really, really amazing that her project has finally being finished her dream of getting men's stories out there as well. Um, and it's just really amazing. And I've, I've started going through it and it's just so gorgeous. Just the different ways that the different men have processed 
their trauma, but also there's quite a range in ages. So I'm probably the youngest, I feel, in the book, but there are some who are in their early to mid-60s. And the time when those things were happening to them, it was not ever being talked about. Whereas I guess now it's not being talked about enough, but it's still getting some time, if that makes sense. Um, And just the struggle they went through and how the, I think it was the um, Royal Commission into Sexual Assault of Institutions in Victoria that actually brought some of these men forward to finally share their story, which was amazing that that process happened because it helped people come forward and actually address their trauma. But yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful so far. And that's what it looks like. Sorry for all that I can't actually see. A way that we can access it. Can we, can we share a link so that um, people listening can access that? Yes. Yes. So I can, um, I can send you the link after this. I think they're currently in a backlog of orders because they didn't expect to sell so many copies and they've had to, I think, do a a reprint, which is really exciting. But, yeah, I'll send you the link to it. And it's got little photos of some of us as well in it. So me as a kid, when I was 10, it's just, I think it's after my story, um, which is really beautiful just to see how beautiful we all are. And how, um, like, innocent you were at that age as well. I mean, it's it's... Often went through the Royal Commission, the findings did come that, you know, most people were coming forward 35 to 45 years after, and that coincided most of the time where their own children had aged into the age they were at the time. Yeah. And because I think you, like we've said throughout this, you've got this denial almost or this you don't want to be a burden or, you know, those types of things. But when you see the true vulnerability of somebody that age, you then understand at a different level that you you were a victim and it wasn't consensual and it wasn't, you know, I think those are are really incredible things to reflect back on and to have men of all ages coming forward and sharing that. I think it's amazing. We definitely will share a link to that in the show notes so that people can access it. Yeah. Awesome. I think maybe, would you mind? Yeah. Can we we end with a palate cleanser? Sure. And, and if you share the story of how you met your father. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, we can roll, roll back to that one. So it might not start off as a palate cleanser. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was 17 and I was homeless at the time. <laughs> oh I'm not laughing because I was homeless, but because we're like, let's go with a palate cleanser. <laughs> Something lighter than you saw. But, but, but it will be, okay. It's getting there. <laughs> um, and I'd lost my wallet on a bus, which is the last thing I needed, right? And so I went into a bank branch in Hobart, just any Commonwealth bank branch, just to get my card reissued. Um, and I walked in and he worked there. And he said to the concierge, oh, I'll serve him. Um, and so then we went off to his little cubicle office thing and he reissued my card for me and um, gave me his business card and we exchanged a few flirty words, I suppose. Um, and then that, yeah, that's that's how we met. And almost 13 years later, moved into state together, um, bought an apartment just recently. Um, here we are. <laughs> It's really cute. He actually, he was like, oh, that guy's a bit cute. <laughs> but, yeah. So how did you, like, text him or something to go on a first date? Like, how did that? Yeah, I stalked him on Facebook. Um, I was 17. Facebook was, uh, you know, plethora of information. 
um, and then just got a chatting and had a, a date of sorts. <laughs> um, and then just kind of went from there. He did actually offer to drive me home after work one day because I was bussing back to where I was sleeping on someone's floor and I'd missed the bus. And on a Sunday in Hobart, buses are like 45 minutes apart. It's ridiculous. Um, and it's like, oh, come to mine and I'll take you home. Um, and so he was just feeling really, really sweet. And um, he had dancing near where I was staying, weirdly. And so he would text me after or beforehand and say, oh, do you want to come for a chat? And we'd just chat and hang out before dancing or after dancing. And um, he went away on holiday to Queensland to see a musical with his um, housemate at the time and came back and he's like, I need to see you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so he comes to see me and it's just like, I know what I want and what I want is to be with you. And I was just like, look, I don't think it's great timing. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot going on. And again, that's that feeling burden piece. And he's just like, I don't care. It's like, I want to be with you. And I never had that from anybody. Never somebody, I guess, showing that much interest and love in me. And I was just like, oh my God, yes. Um, And then two weeks later, he was like, also, now you're going to move in with me. And I was like, no, that's way too soon. Like (laughs) two weeks we've been together. And he's like, I don't want to see you sleeping on the floor, going to school, going to work, going back to sleep on the floor. You're moving in with me. I've already talked to my housemates about it. And I'm like, oh, are you sure? Are they, are they okay? And it's like, everybody's fine with it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so then, yeah. That is so sweet. Yeah. Oh, that is that is a beautiful story. In my mind, I was like, they talk about U-Haul lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, maybe we're a lesbian relationship in disguise. Uh- <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, gosh. But thank you, thank you so much for sharing that story as well. That is so heartwarming. But also for coming on and being so candid and sharing your experiences and your story, I think so many people are going to hear this and it's just going to ring true with them. I think there was a lot that you shared that is just so relatable as well for so many people. So thank you so much, not only for sharing that, but the advocacy work that you do, the supporting work that you do, all the fundraising you do for Polished Man. You're an incredible person. I'm so grateful that I've been able to meet you and I'm going to have to corner you in Melbourne for some cocktails soon, I think. Yeah, you don't need to corner me, like not at all. (laughs) I'm so for it. Um, But also thank you for having me. And I don't know, I think, we all need to thank you for doing the work that you're doing by this podcast is absolutely incredible. And you are one of those people that's creating space for so many of us to share and while sharing your own. So like, it's, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful that you exist. Uh, <laughs> and I'm so grateful to have to met you as well. And uh, maybe when, maybe one day, Harry, Jared, you and I get together too. Yes. But before then, I'm happy to just you and I also. Um, no need to chase me down. Just tell me, and I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> so here's my plan: you and me have some cocktails, and then we post about how amazing a time we're having, and then the others will be like, "Well, we don't want to miss out. We want to join." And then then they'll come to Melbourne. Exactly. <laughs> Show them what they want. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Amazing. So it's been an absolute pleasure. And I think, you know, with the, the three of you as well that we've referenced throughout this, I think, you know, you just know that you've made instant friends and that is that survivor connection. So I am I am grateful as well. 
If anybody wants to follow along your journey or support you in any way, um, we will put the link to the book in to the show notes for this episode as well. Is there any way that they can further support you or any of your advocacy work as well? They can follow me on Instagram if they like. I usually am pretty inactive until it comes around to Polish Man Time anyway because um, Instagram is such a great platform for getting the word out and fundraising and stuff. If it's prompted them to think about LGBTIQ plus workplace inclusion in their workplaces, I've got my website, bcraneconsulting.org. Um, they can check it out um, or they can reach out to me by Instagram. I'm not super formal with it. I'm pretty laid back. Um, so just reach out, ask questions, and I'm happy to help out with that kind of stuff as well and give you an idea of what kind of path they need to go down. But yeah. Either way. Wonderful. I'll link all of those in the show notes to this episode so anybody can click away. Even just send um, a message of love and support and let people know that you're listening. I think that's also a wonderful way to support survivors coming onto this platform. But thank you so much for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 